Chat Talks. Today we're going to be talking about document automation. If you are a lawyer and are generating the first draft of any document, you know the value of good precedent. If you add automation to that such that you only need to fill in the blanks and magically your first draft is generated, that saves you so much time. Now document automation is not new. It has been around for a while, but the technology has evolved and now we even have no code automation tools, which we will get into later. We have with us today a document automation expert, Catherine Bamford, CEO of BAM Legal from the UK. Welcome, Catherine. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. So, Catherine, I'm just going to give the audience a little bit more background about you before we jump into the questions. Catherine is a former solicitor herself that transitioned into a legal knowledge engineer who spent about seven years at the law firm Vincent Masons and introduced several innovative processes at the firm. In fact, during her time there, she automated more than 400 documents. She then launched her own firm, BAM Legal, so she could help other lawyers as well with their document automation efforts. Though she does a lot more, including helping lawyers transform their legal service delivery using tech tools, today we're going to focus on document automation. Catherine, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I should say on those 400 documents, that was definitely a team effort and that wasn't all me. So I cannot take the credit for all of that. <laughs> well, it's good to mention the entire team as well. <laughs> it's glad to hear that. So I guess my first question, Catherine, is if you're launching a document automation program for an organization from scratch, what types of documents would you start with? And how would this be different for a law firm vis-a-vis -a, -vis a corporate legal department? Sure, yeah. So when when um, either law firms or in-house departments ask me kind of this question, where should we start? Which documents should we do? Um, there's there's sort of two answers and it depends on who they are. So um, a good place to start is with something that your lawyers are drafting regularly, day in, day out, lots of them. Um, so fairly short documents, but really repetitive, often that you're doing on like a fixed fee. However, if you're the corporate team or the banking team at a big law firm, there's a lot of value in actually looking at your main structural documents first. So like the banking facility agreement or the corporate SPA, um, as the lawyers out there will know, they're like 200 page documents, but just by asking maybe like the first five or 10 questions, you can eliminate thousands of square brackets. So take something that would normally take like six hours down to yeah. two hours. So in a facility agreement, just asking, is it bilateral or syndicated loan? Is it, right. um, is the interest hedged? That can eliminate, you know, or with a corporate SPA, um, is, the, is the target um, a single entity or a group of entities? That's about 400 sets of square brackets. Actually, that's interesting that you said, you know, you, let's start with the heavy documentation, because I would have thought otherwise, you you know, maybe start with just like an NDA, something a little bit simpler. But I can yeah. see what you're saying, that this will have a, a much larger uh, time saving benefit because those documents otherwise do take much, much longer. Exactly. And for those departments, you know, in a corporate department, let's make up a figure, but let's say that you're doing a deal for, you know, if we're talking large law firms, a corporate deal that they're doing, they might have quoted fees of £50,000, even £100,000 yeah. to do that deal. Saving six minutes on an NDA isn't really going to affect the profit it. margin on that deal that much. But in a real estate department where every deal you're doing is 
£1,500 or dollars, wherever we're talking, for every six, 18 minutes you save on those deals, you actually are increasing your profit margin quite significantly. So it depends on the department. Um, with in-house, I would recommend that you look at the things that um, your business could almost do to self-serve. So the things that are taking up a lot of your time when you should be focusing on on the more complex things and the higher yeah. value things. Um, so what's coming in that you could be either pass to paralegals if it was more structured or even the business could self-serve to do uh, some of themselves. Could it also be documents that you traditionally outsource, but now because you have the document automation tools, you could actually do that in-house? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and more and more that is happening with, with in-house. They're you know, no longer going to external commercial counsel for particular you know, supply agreements and things. They're starting to, to do those themselves, or at least to first cut themselves. And then they might send them already kind of so rather than sending heads of terms to a law firm or a term sheet to a law firm instead you send the first draft to the law firm because what you've had to type in to give the law firm the instructions are actually what they're going to put into the first draft yeah saving time effort and money yeah uh, yes that's a good point you know, the next thing that I wanted to talk about was the process of customizing the document automation tool, because that often involves some amount of configuration or impl- implementation, essentially the process of inserting the automation within the precedence. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about this process and what it involves. And also, who typically does this process? Is it the organization themselves, the vendor partner or an implementation partner? It would be interesting to know how this process is actually carried out. Yeah, sure. So the process is that you you very much you start with your precedent, you start with your template, your word document, and you need a subject matter expert. You need someone that understands the content of that document. So if it's banking, as we just said, you need someone that understands, well, this clause goes in if it's bilateral, this clause goes in if it's syndicated, because a, a, a coder or a developer wouldn't necessarily know that. So you need the subject matter expert to normally we would just say do a markup of that precedent to say insert this if the answer to this question is this insert this if it's this normally they then don't do the automation they could do if they learn how to use it but normally that's quite a busy lawyer or a knowledge lawyer who doesn't have the the skills to do the automation they can learn it but it's not necessarily the best person to do the job because they're expensive resource um, and it takes up a lot of their time so then it would go to a legal engineer in a law firm or um, you can outsource it to the vendor they have teams that will help you that does cost more so you pay for the software and you then pay Good or it. there's consultancies like BAM Legal you know that so that's something we do for law firms as well as we do that for them the process of doing that is you take the software and the software rather than it being a coding language the software um, allows you to create questions and then highlight a piece of text and use that question, use that answer to say, insert this, if this. So it's in plain English. Um, A lot of coding, people are very scared of coding and lawyers are scared of coding, but lawyers do it in their brains every day because a lawyer thinks to the client. It's very logic-based. The client says, can you do this? It's very logic-based. So if client circumstances are X, we need to make sure we do Y. Correct. But if this happens, we need to do Z. 
you know, and it's, um, so lawyers do that thought process all the time and the software allows you to, um, to do that. Interestingly, I have seen several international law firms use more than one document automation tool. And sometimes they could even have three tools for their practice. I was just wondering, what is the reason for them to use more than one document automation tool? Yeah, so when when it started, when people started to um, introduce document automation to the firms five, ten years ago, there was only really three main players. There was Contract Express, Hot Docs, and Xari. Um, there is now, so we recently um, created a database to help everyone. It's a free resource. It's out there, the docautodatabase.com. We started the work on that database by scanning the internet and we found over 250 document automation tools are out yeah. there in the market so it just shows how much this area has expanded just in 10 years that we went from like three tools that certain law firms were using to like over 250 so the choice is vast they all do slightly different things the early products are really good like contract express hot dogs excellent products um they're really, really good for internal, large law firm, complex documents. Um, but they are perhaps um, too complex or too expensive or their licensing model isn't appropriate if you're wanting to offer client-facing on your website for free NDAs where they can draft them themselves because they charge by per user model. Or you maybe want a cloud product. You don't want it to be internal on your server. So it updates itself all the time. Um, so there's lots of different features and functions that um, people have gone, well, I now want to do something different with my document automation. Is the tool I had the right tool for that? Um, and, and quite often it wasn't. So you have a couple of law firms, for example, have one tool that their lawyers use internally for large complex transactional work they have another tool that they might use for um kind of with more workflow and another one for client facing exactly um but it's still unusual most law firms still just have still just have one but i am getting more and more requests recently a lot of my work rather than what do we buy as our first tool it's are there any options to change our tool or we want to do this which is a new use case are we still using the best tool for this new use case people are also starting to integrate tools as well so you know any legal transaction you normally are drafting a document but then after that there's the next stage negotiation and then there's signing and then there's storage and taking out the obligations so wanting tools that integrate with others so you can sort of start to build an end-to-end -end automated workflow is becoming popular as well. We briefly touched upon this in our introduction, in fact, where we talked about no-code tools today. And in the document automation space, you have both traditional tools as well as no-code tools. It would be great if you could tell us a little bit about no-code tools and how they're different from traditional tools. Sure, yeah. So um, with, the, with the traditional tools, even though they make it easy for you, so you don't need a programming language, you definitely are still writing a little bit of script where you're saying, so let's say we had a question saying, what's your favorite color? And you had a choice of red, yellow, and blue. 
and a certain clause needed to go in if it was blue. You'd highlight that whole clause and you would say, you know, insert if color equals blue, you know, so it was kind yeah. of you had to mathematically lay it out like that. I don't believe that any of the tools are no code as much as they try and say that. I would say they are low code. But what they're doing is they're basically just making them prettier and easier and simpler. So you can maybe like drag and drop variables. You know, it's it's more just like one click rather than writing a script. Anyone out there that's like kind of tried to uh, set up a website five years ago or set up a website today or, you know, it's suddenly a huge difference. So that's kind of no code, low code is where we're taking like big chunks of things and placing them because someone's put all the script in the background so that's what we're talking about the tools are just but the traditional tools have also kept up and they've had a lot of budget a lot of research and a lot of market intelligence so i wouldn't rule out the traditional tools because they also now are low code they have kept up but what they also can do is the more in-depth complexity that some of the newer prettier ones maybe can't do those those more complex pieces that's an excellent point The other thing that I was thinking about was the time efficiency of the person doing the automation. So technically, because the tools are low code or no code, you could technically get a lawyer to come in and do that automation on their own. But if you have to assess the time efficiency of doing that, does it make sense to get a lawyer to come in and do that or maybe get a legal engineer if you have one in-house or maybe outsource it to a legal engineer to come in and help with the automation because obviously the legal engineer would be able to do it in a far more time efficient manner than the lawyer it's sort of like canva canva has made graphic design super easy for the layman but even then it would take me probably an hour to make a poster on canva while it would take a graphic designer 15 minutes that's a, such a good example. That's such a good example is is the Canva example. Um, and it's exactly like that. These tools allow you to do automation. But if you have a lawyer that only automates one document for their team and then another lawyer automates a document for their team, they have all that training time, that getting used to it time. Whereas if you have someone that does it as a full-time job every single day, those lawyers can just send them that work and they can do it so much faster. Yeah. Also in a consistent way. So something that's really important for the law firms nowadays is when documents are being automated for their firm that is being done in a consistent way with, for example, the same question names, the variable names, because then in the future, if they want to um, do those integrations that I spoke of or extract data and information or take data and information from, say, like the client onboarding forms and push it through so it automatically fills in. You know, so when you choose client X, it automatically fills in their address and their company number. Yeah. You need to make sure they're all done the same. And if you have a hundred different lawyers all automating something themselves differently, there's no consistency there. So and you get in a big, big mess if you ever want to do anything with the data. And that has happened in the past. Um, because a lot of the new software companies they go, Oh, it's so simple, your lawyers can do it themselves. But that is dangerous if you don't have anyone with experience. Correct. This brings me to my next question, Catherine. There are several document automation tools out there in the market. So as a customer, you have plenty of choices. What are the things you think that a customer should think about when choosing a vendor for document automation? Yeah. So the main one is... um, how it's going to be priced. That's one of the main differentiators between tools. So a lot of tools will price per user. So if you have um, a thousand lawyers um, 
who are all drafting documents every single day, maybe a per user model is fine. But if you're an in-house team with 12 lawyers, but you have 6,000 salespeople in the business that you want to actually be inserting the answers to the questions to prepare the first draft of the documents, per user is not going to work for you because they might do one a month. Yeah. Um, and really, you've only got 12 lawyers. So for that, you might want per document or um, there's lots of various different models. There's monthly fees, et cetera. So your pricing model, depending on your particular use case and who you are, is important. Complexity. Um, so, you know, what type of work are you wanting to automate? If it is super simple, um, NDAs and, and such like, you probably don't need to pay for one of the really expensive heavy lifting tools. I, I used the analogy once about like making bread and you can make bread in an oven or you can have really specialists with lots of different buttons, expensive bread maker machines. And yeah. it's how often are you doing it? how many different recipes you know it's that kind of thing it's like what do you need is is there so there is no one size fits all there's also questions around um security uh your law firm may insist that um something's on prem rather than cloud or may insist that uh the vendors have to have a particular security certification um like an iso for example in the uk is is common um and out of those 250 I mentioned, for example, um, you know, if you require the ISO one, you can pretty much cut that down to 50 straight away. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, startups, you might want to use an exciting new startup, but unfortunately the startups haven't necessarily gone through all the hoops yet of getting all the security that's required. Yeah. Uh, other things would be, so you've got price, you've got um, complexity, Things like integrations. So, you know, you might want uh, to be able to use your e-signature tool with the automation. Um, so in that case, you need to make sure it has an integration. It can easily be integrated with DocuSign or HelloSign or Adobe e-signature. So when you say integration, Catherine, is it that the vendor can come out and say, you know, I have these REST APIs that can integrate with any other product that has REST APIs, or do you actually need the entire integration to be built out and ready to go? Some have inbuilt um, extra features. Um, some have really good, they will all tell you that everything can be integrated through the API. Some yeah. are a lot easier than others. Um, and that's when you need to have someone technical on your requirement scoping call as well. Right, because um, all of that is going to yeah. cost money if it's not easy. Exactly, to... exactly. You know, you were talking about complexity, and I think that's an interesting point, which I want to touch upon in my next question, because some of the common issues with documentation is how does the tool address changes like singular to plural? For instance, if your precedent agreement is drafted on, on the basis of a single lender, but the document you're working on has a consortium of lenders, or whether it's a change in entity because the precedent was drafted basis, the entity being a corporate entity, whereas the document you're working on presently is an individual, or even conditionality of clauses, that if this clause uh, is in place or attracted, then there's a penalty. So if there's a delay in payment, then a penal interest clause is attracted. How does document automation deal with all of these complexities? Yeah, so all of those examples are super easy to do. So anywhere within a precedent where you've got square brackets, so the company um, has or the companies have, um, all the automator will do is in every single instance of that, so where previously a lawyer would have to go through and manually 
change or delete every right. instance of that wasn't relevant to them they put um they put like a bracket the the automator will put like a bracket around each of the two pieces the company has or the companies have and with the first one they'll say answer to the question company is one uh, number of companies is one and for the second one they'll say answer to the question is more than one um so it really is just spanning each one with what is the rule that dictates whether that goes in or not and then the lawyer will see a question number of companies and they will just put in a number and then whatever the answer is um you know will then everywhere that that rule has been put in um same with clauses where it gets a bit more complex is um where you have what's called what i refer to as relevancy so you might have a question that would say is the deposit being paid and only if the answer is yes should you then ask further questions about the deposit because otherwise the lawyer shouldn't see those questions yeah. And different tools handle that in different ways. But um, that kind of um, that relevancy that can in law get really quite complex. If you think about what a lawyer is thinking about, well, if this, then this. and But then we need to think about that. And what about this? Um, so that's where the layers of code can build up quite quickly. Yeah. Often you find as an automator that you say, make sure your precedents finalized you know you've got everything yeah. in there and they're like oh yes our lawyers use it every day it's it's perfect and then when you start doing the automation piece you realize well if this if this answer was yes but this answer then was no you actually got nothing there what should the wording be in that situation so it's a really good exercise to go through to actually improve your precedence as well because it pulls out every little thing that if it was just a lawyer they might have just scribbled something extra in That's so you're great. able to suddenly see that also, once they've been automated, you can get a lot of information about your precedents and how the lawyers are using it. So if you have a question that says, you know, um, uh, what's the liability cap? You can look back at that because as soon as it's digital, you can then capture that and look back. So you can look back at the last year and go, every time one of our clients have done, has had a liability cap, it's always been at least a minimum of a million. You know, and that's information you can use when you're talking yeah. to clients, when you're talking to insurers. So you're, you're starting to get some real in-depth information and patterns that, that you can use to, to help, you know, kind of uh, promote your experience. Got it. That brings us to the last question for today's episode. What are some of the common workflows that can also be automated in addition to the document automation? What have you typically seen in your experience? Sure, yeah. Any transaction in law um, has about, about five. I bet you have said five and I'll now say six, but about, <laughs> about five stages that are the same. So everyone says my area of law is different. But if you just think about what's actually happening, it's all pretty much the same. You've got a client getting in touch with a lawyer to give instructions and say, yeah. you know, this is happening. I need legal to do this. Then you have the lawyer doing some form of due diligence. to check the details to um, check that what's being sold is actually worth what's being sold. You know, whatever they're doing, some form of due diligence, some form of investigation and reporting. There's then the drafting of a document which is the document automation comes in. There's then negotiation. So they send it to the other side. The other side look at it. They maybe mark it up. They maybe try and change things. They then email it back with a red line. And that's a painful process going back and forth. The way negotiation is done is absolute bonkers at the moment, in my opinion. Um, then it's finally agreed. 
So then you have contracts being signed, money changing hands. Then, yeah, I said there'd be six, didn't I? And then there's kind of like the storage and the obligations management going forward. So what was the renewal date agreed? How do you make sure yeah. you know that in two years time, that kind of thing? Um, so with all of those things, there is now technology available out there that can help. Um, and that's where law firms now, if they've they've already done document automation, that's where they're now starting to look is what else can we do? And I, I think the most exciting area is negotiation. There's some the new tools coming out at the moment. Um, there's contract one and there was one I saw just the other day um, as well, which was actually a word plugin. Uh, I've forgotten the name, I apologize. But um, that's the area where we're currently now still wasting lots and lots and lots of time um, and I think the more we get negotiation built into a workflow where we're doing kind of online collaboration with documents um, and saving things rather than emailing red lines back and forth. That's the, the new frontier that I'm excited about. Exciting times ahead. Definitely. Thanks so much for your time today, Catherine. It's been very interesting to learn about all of the different aspects of document automation. Thank you for being with us. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been really cool.